Yeah, I'm surprised though. So you finally married your body pillow? What was the yeah, ceremony yeah. like? Yeah, it's, uh, it's a long Oh, hey long guys, story. here we are live with Level With Me podcast. I'm Level Cap. This is Matimio. We're both veteran <laughs> content creators, as you can see. Matt on Twitch, myself on uh, YouTube. Uh. And today we're going to regale you with stories, drama, behind the scenes stuff, and uh, just weird stuff we want to talk about, I think. Yeah, I knew you said you were going to have like a joke intro. I didn't know you were going to actually go through with something like that. But yeah, hello. Joke? Oh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. The joke. Yeah, intro. the joke. Yeah. 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 So, Matt, um, I think most people watching us now probably know who we are because this is our first episode and we're just going to like tell our subscribers to go watch it. But right. For those out there who don't know who we are or how we met, do you actually remember how we met each other? Because it's been, I think, 11 plus years at this point. How well are we talking about in real life? Or are we talking about just because you approached me for Squad Up way back in the day, like Battle for Three Days, and you just messaged me out of the blue and you're like, hey, I'm getting a crew together. Would you like to join? If that's what you meant. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was actually looking back on it and I was thinking, I don't actually remember all the details of it, but I think we had the same representative at Machinima. Do you remember? I never was actually part of Machinima. So no, your okay. old, old age memory is, uh, in that case, you. I have no idea how we first met Matt. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> so I believe you emailed me or was it was probably an email. It's been, a, it's literally been like 11 years and there was a guy. There was a guy that represented both of us or knew both of us and okay. it was through some service. And I actually don't remember what the, it might've been some like weird proto era of YouTube. And some guy was like trying to get us deals or something. And he was like, Hey, you should work with this guy, Matimio. He also does stuff like that. And so he gave me your email. Mm -hmm. Then I emailed you and then we just started recording. But I think the first video we did um at least looking back through my youtube history together yeah was us in the battlefield three attack helicopter but there was also like a squad on the ground communicating with us so oh. there's a couple other players i think i honestly don't remember that maybe my maybe my uh old age is kicking in we too. gotta get our we gotta get the story straight matt we really like, do we should have probably planned this before the stream <laughs> This is ridiculous. Now, I figured it'd be fun for people to see us uh, try and get our old brains working to remember how we actually met each other. But that was with who was the original squad? It was Mongol, you, me, and Sergeant Enigma, right? I think so. I think so. So for people um, listening now and who are, who are like, what is squad up? Because it is kind of history. Um it was like back in the early days of YouTube when you could just like throw gameplay videos out there and they'd like do really well. Uh, it, we had a four man squad going for Battlefield and we'd record or post like every Friday or something like that. And they were generally pretty well liked and yeah, uh, no, it well was, received. I still have people to this day saying I met you and I love the the crew back in the day because eventually it became the the core crew, which was me, you, Jack and X Factor. Yeah, when we could get them together. And, <laughs> yeah. yeah god the the punctuality of youtubers man it is yeah like, sometimes people are like how come that all fell apart and i'm like well 
Let me tell you about scheduling and YouTubers. Uh, it's hard when everyone was so well. literally all over the world, though. So, yeah, that made it the a thing tough. that always blew my mind was that the recording time was at the same time every week. And yet <laughs> after and doing yet, it for years and yet 30 minutes would go by and be like, oh, OK. We'd have now to like starting. message people and they're like, oh, my God, I forgot that was today. I'm like, do you people not have any type of alarm system? Like well, no, I don't. So I'm yeah. sorry for being late all the time. OK. I yeah. didn't know. I didn't know you're going to confront me at the beginning of the stream. Oh, I, oh, yeah. You, you. Yeah. No, you're surprisingly punctual, Matt. I try um, to be. Yeah. I say surprisingly because it is an uncommon uh, quality to have in the content creation world. Just don't tell my viewers on Twitch. Yeah. So I think when it comes to our history, we we recorded Squad Up quite a while. Mm -hmm. We did Double Vision for a while, yes. which was usually us in an attack helicopter or doing something else sometimes. Dirt Bike C4 on that one map I can't remember off the top of my head. Yeah, Silk Road. Kind yes. of a legendary session. I mm -hmm. remember it too. I think we killed a helicopter. Yes, we did. Yeah. It flew too low. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we had some legendary videos there and then, um, and then as the YouTube scene evolved and whatnot, you started getting into streaming more. Yep. And I stuck with YouTube and then the battlefield scene kind of shifted. I feel like around the hardline era is when that shift began to take place. <laughs> yeah. And then battlefield one came out and it was fine, but it just didn't grab, I think, a lot of the squad up crew as much as the other kind of divided, ones. divided the battlefield audience, I feel. Yeah. Because you had the like BF3, BF4, Hardline. At least it was all modern military weapon stuff, you know, mm -hmm. even if Hardline was cops and criminals, it was still kind of similar vein, you know. And then BF1 was like, you guys like history, right? And they'd already over like, what, six, seven years built a pretty core battlefield audience around modern military stuff and so there was like a big division there and then remember brandon didn't like the weapon mechanics and be a yeah that was my big my big issue yeah. there was just a lot of weapon uh bullet spread and all that stuff and it just it was fine like the game is great atmospherically yeah. the maps were fantastic but like the weapons themselves just didn't handle as well as i would have liked and it just kind of i just kind of bounced off it so yeah, that's kind of when I feel like the squad up and all the collaborative battlefield stuff sort of started winding down was during the BF1 days and then BF5 was like, and let's solidify that. Out. Yeah, <laughs> we did a couple, but it was, yeah, that was that was pretty much the end of it. So, yeah, yeah, it was it was tough. EA kind of kind of lost their touch there and sort of made things hard for us. And, and then you kind of went full time stream. Well, I, I did, yes, and also uh, Rainbow Six Siege exists, and I did that for, I was, like, maining that for yeah. years, and I still love that game. I don't play it as much as anymore, but, yeah, Rainbow Six Siege completely took over my life, and I transitioned for more Battlefield 2, that title, instead. Yeah, and that, that game had a solid run for quite a while. I mean, it's, it's still going. It's still going, yeah. They, they have yeah. a new season coming out. There's They're bringing in a new operator who opens up uh every ceiling on the map basically so that should be fun <laughs> i mean they've run out of ideas for the operators like everyone is like here's a slight variation on the thing that already exists and you're yeah sort of like, well there's only so many ways you can yeah. get into a building and so many ways you can open up stuff and so now you have a robot that you'll be able to 
tear open the floor. It's it's a Roomba, but with giant chainsaws. So <laughs> that's fun. <laughs> nice. How many robots are in that game? You could basically just have a robot based team at this point. You yeah, could just have robot wars kind or of. But there yeah. are there are a bunch of robot based. Like there's like Echo, but he's been in the game forever. The new character. There's there's a fair amount. Yeah. 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 I always liked that game, but then I took a break from it and decided to come back. And yeah, that game is not friendly to like no. getting back into it. You're not like, at all. And the one <laughs> all shot the new headshot meta mechanic is, is crazy. Really, yeah. The headshot mechanic is really punishing for newer players or people who just don't expect headshots, everything to down you. So it's still every single gun in the game is a one shot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's wild. Anything. It's so hard to balance that because it just adds so much power to the like rapid rate of fire weapons. They increase like, the, just... the recoil on a bunch of those, but at the end of the day, there's only so much you can do. So yeah, DMRs yeah. kind of fall off because, well, it's like, why, why use something that hits hard when you can just one round going through someone's dome is the end of them. Yeah, yeah. I think they kind of mathematically pigeonholed themselves into a difficult place to balance stuff but it is still fun though cool oh yeah and i can respect it too even if like something like a nine mil wouldn't penetrate like a certain helmet you know they have tachanka with his giant metal helmet and he's just yeah yeah, yeah exactly yeah you're like, like oh, nine ah. mil would bounce off of that but you know they got to keep it fun they got to keep it fun and stuff yeah yeah man so it's <laughs> been quite a quite a ride i think we're both 12 plus year veterans at this point don't say um, that. I know. I started dude. at the end of call or right senior year. I think it was right after. And then I had an internship and I was like posting videos and checking online while you were at working the job. at a bank, weren't you? Or something? Uh, no, I worked at a um, a sports. God, what was it exactly? I basically was the guy who went around and made sure that coaches were following the rules of the NCAA, uh, which was exciting. I was basically the snitch. And I had to ensure that they were uh, following the rules and regulations set forth by the NCAA. Cool. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. When we started collabing, you were still working a, a, a normal person job. Yes. Uh, and uh, I had been, I think I was full time, but only because I was like, let's see if YouTube works type experiment mm -hmm. full time. Um, so I was doing it full time, but not like with a not financially successful at that point. I think we we're still both pretty, pretty It took a green. couple of years for me to actually make it into something I could do long-term, full-time. Yeah, um, yeah. Like years. The first couple videos, uh, not a lot. And then Battle of the Three took off, and that helped out a lot. And then Battle of the Four was like, okay, this finally can be something financially stable. Wait, well, what were you doing you prior can. to BF3? Bad Company 2 videos? Yeah. Yeah. So wow. I didn't even I was watching some bad company too and I never saw you so I was tiny. I mean only a couple yeah. hundred video or a couple hundred views maybe it would eke out a few thousands but yeah. it was it was early stages. I mean that's how it works for everybody. No one sure. very few people just take off out of nowhere with nothing behind them. So Yeah. Yeah. I got really lucky. I didn't have to grind for months and months before I got an audience, but I the timing was just super lucky because I started right as BF3 launched. And we well, had a plan. Like, well, yeah, I, had a, I, I definitely for. had a plan. That's why I went full tilt for it because I was like, well, if I can just capture the BF3 audience and like 
there was no Bad Company 2 scene at the time. So Well, there was really no Battlefield scene at all, really. Yeah. I mean, there was, but it. it was it was kind of akin to the size of Bad Company 2, which was at the tail end of its lifespan and was nowhere near the size of Call of Duty or something like that. So Right. Well, that's the thing is Call of Duty yeah. was the king and that's where every content creator was focusing on. And then there yeah. were some other games that were popular, but for the most part it was all COD and then so having this niche of Battlefield and you filled it. So, <laughs> yeah, well, I just I honestly just looked at what the COD guys were doing for the most part. And I noticed that nobody in Bad Company 2 was doing the same thing because I was like, I would love somebody to break down like the good weapons and like tactics and stuff like mm -hmm. that. And like mm -hmm. nobody was doing it. They're just having like long format, like kind of rant fest of that stuff. And I was like, yep. OK, um i don't know if this is what i want to watch uh so i just started delivering that content and luckily it worked out yeah because you were the pretty much i remember having conversations with other battlefield youtubers at the time and everyone looked up to you as the one who made it and made it like made it work so you're kind of the oh, i don't want to say the the grandfather of the battlefield youtube scene but you were one of the first people <laughs> to really get it going it's fair. <clears throat> it's funny how much that's carried over that initial perception of what my channel and what my content is is like even now when i'm playing battle bit people will be like level cap i would love your bf3 videos you know i'm like oh i'm so old <laughs> 10 years ago old man <laughs> i'm so old like oh your video on that thing from like 10 years ago i'm like oh my god yeah, yeah. that m16a3 video changed my life yeah yeah oh my gosh that meme got out of control for sure <laughs> i mean it's you, you know you, you kind of did it upon yourself but that's yeah, it's the part of it, right? So I was thinking for the podcast, uh -huh. which is kind of in the proto phase. Everybody's watching us figure it out as we go. There's um, probably going to be some growing pains here and there. Yeah, but I thought it would be fun to like not just talk about our old geezer gaming stories, but also bring in the modern current event stuff going on. Uh, there's been a lot actually in the last couple of weeks that has been pretty interesting just in like both the content creator world side of things and also the game publishing development side of things. Um, I'm still kind of following Battlefield stuff. I know you still play Battlefield at least once a week, yeah, right? Yeah, occasionally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What do you What are your thoughts on the whole Redux announcement that they did a weekish ago? So, I mean, it, it's kind of what I was expecting. Redux, I think, from what I remember, because I only saw the trailer, is essentially taking all of the old seasonal content and then just kind of squishing it all together in a couple of months until we get the final season. I'm assuming the final season, which is season six. Yeah. And just getting you to be able to replay those game modes, which is cool. Uh, it's nice that the old content that they worked on is coming back. Uh, I do get frustrated when like games like Rainbow Six Siege make all this effort for a limited time event and then you never get to play it ever again, even if you really enjoyed it. And so yeah. I, I like it, but it does seem like this is sort of the winding down of Battlefield 2042. I'm happy that they supported it longer than just the year because I still enjoy playing it from time to time. It, do it does seem though that season six will probably be the last if not second to last if they ever give us like one last hoorah <laughs> yeah and that's the weird thing is like every last season has always felt like the last and the player base has thought it's the last and then dice is like surprise there's another season and i'm like yeah this doesn't feel like good marketing right because if every season people are like getting ready to like 
this is nail it. the co- <laughs> coffin shut for the game you know you're uh-huh. not like attracting new players who are like i want to invest time and effort into this game that's about to be dead like it's not a great it's not a great perception to give out there so i i think I, i've been ranting at dice like this whole time i'm like if you knew you were gonna do two more seasons you should have just dropped it but i think they don't actually know i think they're like getting the approval each season yep. they're like well we got do we this have many the players. funding can yeah. we can we do this yes i yeah i think they're which is probably the why they have to delay it by six weeks for this season because whenever they got approval or whatever they're like okay how quickly can we throw together a map and content you know and you're mm-hmm. just like i mean i don't actually know the behind the scenes but if i had to make a story of what was going on that seems to make sense but Yeah, I think the game in itself is actually in a pretty good state overall in terms of like actual gameplay. But to hit on like what you're saying about spending time on limited time modes, like it seems weird because Battle Bits front end um, does a great job of getting players into its modes. Whereas you're just like, I want to play a giant mode. I want to play a medium mode or I want to play a small mode. And then it just has you join and you don't exactly know what game mode you're going to be jumping into. It's kind of based on what the players vote on. Right. Right. And I'm like, Oh, that would be cool for battlefield to do that. Then they don't have to retire the limited time modes. They can just become permanent additions that players can either vote on. They they literally have this magical thing called portal that they Mm -hmm. made a lot of effort on. And then they just, it just sort of died. I didn't die because I know portal still is somewhat popular in the community. But the portal could have been a great place, and maybe it is. I haven't really dived too much into it, but it's not. It's kind of dead, to be honest. Like just, if, just have yeah. that be where the limited time events are. Have allow people to create limited time events and playlists or whatever. I mean, that would, for me, that would be been the best place to keep those game modes going. Yeah, it's hard to know if like so. There was a huge. They did portal because there was always a giant outcry to support the modding scene, you know, and some great mods came out of the like battlefield 1942 and the battlefield two era, you know, you had Mm -hmm. desert strike for 1942 or desert combat for 1942. And then, uh, BF2 had the project reality, which later became squad, you know? So like all these cool things came out of modding for battlefield. And then it just became too hard with the frostbite engine. So they like tried to remedy it with portal, but it almost seems like the modding world now is just not quite as popular as it used to be. Maybe because the gaming world is so saturated that there's usually a full-fledged standalone game out there for whatever kind of crazy mod you want to play, you know? Yeah, I I was never been I've never really been into modding, so I've never really followed it as closely as others. It could be because games are just a lot bigger now and complex and a lot of games just don't allow for mod support. But I do think modding in general for certain titles like Bethesda games is huge. And if there is a robust uh, platform or tools available for modders, you will get a good modding scene um, for the most part. I just don't think Battlefield ever has. I mean, they haven't had mod tools since what? Battlefield 2? Do you know how the Halo modding scene is going? Because it's got probably some of the most robust in-game modding tools that i've seen in any sort of trip we're talking platform. about forge right yeah, yeah 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 um i haven't actually checked it out lately but i mean i know that the halo player base for the free-to-play multiplayer experience has not been particularly popular like just in general well i think that's just halo infinite 
in it itself. But yeah. there's been a lot of talk lately. I just I just literally saw a post online where people were were praising the Forge for bringing mm -hmm. back players and getting them involved. They, they I think they. Forge community has remade a bunch of like old maps and they have like a playlist for it from previous Halo games. There's, yeah. I watched Jack, uh, Jack Frags, our friend, he made a video showing off like just the insane, they had like a rainbow road, like Mario Kart style map. They had the, like a Honey, I Shrunk the Kids map that looked fantastic. So no, the Forge community is pretty incredible. They, they, they know their stuff. And I thought, I even downloaded Halo Infinite to maybe try it out myself at one point so okay yeah i'm actually looking at the steam charts now and they had whatever their last update in june was it seems like they got a pretty good surge and now they're like hitting six seven k they're sort of pooting steam. along i also checked as well it's yeah. not doing great but especially for a mega triple a title but you could say the same for things like battlefield so well and also they're a bigger franchise on consoles too so maybe the steam numbers are less of a percentage than they are with very other good, games right? very good point yeah like battlefield's more popular on console but it started off as a pc title so it's still got a very popular strong pc foundation there where halo was console from the start and only ever got some crappy ports for like the longest time so pc never really picked it up mm -hmm. yeah yep. well i'm looking forward to the next season uh <laughs> The, the map looks neat, but yeah, we'll see. We'll Did see. We... I think most people are just excited for the next Battlefield game. Yeah, at this point, <laughs> what I find <laughs> funny is how when Battlefield 2042 launched, they announced their whole Battlefield universe thing. You remember that? Where they were like, we're working on a bunch of Battlefield projects. And the fact that they made that announcement right when 2042 was clearly struggling and everyone was very disappointed. Yeah, yeah. it was really bad market timing and you know like you can look at it now because the higher ups thought 2042 was going to be a huge success that's the weirdest thing about it is right. like the miscommunication between the dev team and the higher ups where like the higher ups are like we're ahead of schedule you know before the game came out mm -hmm. it's going to be great like it's going to have all these amazing features and all this crazy stuff and then the game launches and it's like it's in a terrible state and then well, even the marketing... there were devs that were tweeting who's who were like trust us guys we've got this it's like okay all right yeah man that's it's just hard to know because i know some people also that were like of the opposite opinion so maybe there's a division within the team of yeah like maybe who realized that it was about like the shit was about to hit the fan versus like thought it was all going to be great but yeah man it's it's it <laughs> It was a tough situation, but that marketing thing was clearly queued up before they realized that yes, it was going to be hundred hundred percent one of the most was... disastrous launches. Yeah, <laughs> <It's> <laughs> like hey guys, you see that great Battlefield twenty forty two? Well, we got more in store in the future. Yeah. yeah, but they seem to be like doubling, if not tripling, down on the franchise now because I think EA which is, knows. Yeah, which it's I smart. love, and because I love yeah. Battlefield, and if I can get more of that, I'm 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 in. But. I'm keeping my fingers crossed that they're going to give them the time to develop, which it seems like they are because they haven't made any announcements this year. There was talk, and this may have been because they thought 2042 was going to do was going to be successful. But mm -hmm. I remember specifically, I think Jack did an interview or talked, or there was something where one of the head guys at EA said that we're going to go back to a two-year cycle for Battlefield, what like what they were doing in the past, and it had people worried because many people sure. thought they were going to support 2042 long term with portal updates, new maps. And then hearing the two year cycle again was like, oh, 
okay, so maybe that's off the table, but because it's almost been two years now, we're clearly not getting one this year. So. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and they've got three different studios and I've been trying to follow the rumors as closely as possible. And we've got one studio that seems to be dedicated to like mission or narrative content. One studio that's going to be like the classic dice studio. That'll be like, here's your multiplayer experience. And then another one that's like some other battlefield game, which I, a lot of people are predicting would be some sort of Royale or extraction thing or whatever, you know, they've, they've it does feel swung like and missed on that twice does, now. Yeah. It does feel like battle Royale extractor looter shooters or whatever you want to call them are, they might be the future. It does seem like there's a big push in that direction. And I think they saw that with uh hazard zone. I think they were trying to make something along that line. It just failed miserably. <laughs> yeah. But Bungie's coming out with a new extractor, so I wouldn't be I wouldn't be surprised if they had someone, a dev team dedicated to something similar. Yeah, the Bungie thing is interesting because um, I remember playing Marathon back in the day. It was always like, "Hey, would you like to play Doom or Marathon?" You're like, "I'll play Doom, thank you very much." But uh, <laughs> it, it was an IP that Bungie owned. I was actually here's a weird thing. I was a huge fan of Bungie before Halo was ever announced or like talked about at all you're like, you're a hipster is what you're saying as a hipster i went to a bungee fan fest in san francisco before maybe halo was announced at this time but so i went to you're it a to mega, play you're a mega hipster <laughs> i was playing myth 2 soul blighter in downtown san francisco okay do you know what that game is i've never heard of that, that you no. do you know any bungee games before halo no yeah well yeah. marathon but that's it but you know Marathon because they announced the thing. I No, I knew about it before. Okay, okay all right. I know some things, level cap. <laughs> I'm just wondering. They weren't I'm not huge, completely they ignorant were, on all games. Come on now. They weren't yes. a huge game studio until they like basically. Bungie, yeah, Halo is where they, yeah. they really made their mark in. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, can you imagine? Can you imagine how angry Steve Jobs was when they sold Halo? Or they agreed to make Halo for Xbox exclusively. Cause yeah, because they were going to be on Apple, weren't they? Yeah, but he dropped, he name dropped Halo, and demoed their whole demo reel at like the Mac World Expo thing. Okay. You know, the same place he announces like the iPhone and stuff and the mm -hmm. iPod it was a big and deal. whatever. Yeah, huge deal. Gives them massive press, and then they sign on with. Microsoft, I'm like, ooh, I would not want to be on the receiving end of Jobs's rage on that yeah. one. It must have been intense. I, so, I mean, I, I never followed it, but I yeah. I didn't realize that they would could, could back out that way, but maybe they just weren't in the I contract. just don't think they were signed or yeah. they were legally in a position where they could, all, you know. All verbal, like, yeah, we'll be on your platform. Man, yeah. that could have that completely changed the trajectory of gaming on Mac, though. Yeah, I think that was the plan, basically, you know, because Apple kind of turned their nose up at gaming in the past. And so this could have been the like the thing that put them on the map, you know, right. Because um, only until they're... recently have they sort of been moving a little bit more into gaming, but it still feels like an afterthought. They're never going to be there. I mean, who wants to? They game may not. On? Who wants to game on the Mac? You know, I've, I've literally never owned a Mac uh, PC or yeah. anything, really. So. I don't think it's going to happen beyond, you know, whatever weird little titles work on it. You know, you're not yep. going to be running a, a Macintosh to play Battlefield anytime soon. That's for sure. 
I mean, they're like $5,000. You would hope that they'd be able to play video games, but I, nope. No, I was an Apple guy for a long time and I just got annoyed with stuff. Like I had like, you remember those blue and white beige G3 towers? They're like, they weren't beige. They were like white and blue. No. I, it was like in the era of the, um, I, uh, the, um, flavored IMAX. Okay. Remember this? Yeah. 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 Okay. So they had like a tower version of that. And I okay. remember buying, uh, the same video card that my friend had in his PC, but it was just marked up a hundred dollars because it's an Apple it's version Apple. Mm-hmm. of the thing. And I just, I just remember just being like really annoyed by yeah, all it, of that crap. You. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Cause I'm like, it's the exact same piece of hardware. It just has like a little chip that makes it so it will work on a Mac and not a PC and that's it. <laughs> and I was like, cool. Glad that's a hundred dollars extra for that. You know? So mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that was about the time that I sold the Mac and went PC for life. Never so Matt, back. let's talk about some of your stuff, man. I noticed that you got a real hot take on here for um <laughs> the hottest takes. Which one do you want? Baldur's Gate or Starfield? Oh man, the Starfield thing is so lame. Why don't we just <laughs> so lame? Yeah. It is uh, funny that I saw it, it too. Is, it's, it's hilarious. I don't know why though. it's blowing up social media. Yeah. I think it's because, and the same thing with Baldur's Gate. So to catch people up, there was a tweet by a particular someone, I don't remember his name, uh, who basically was criticizing the start screen of Starfield, saying <laughs> that it, it this is indicative that either they don't care or the product is going to be rushed. And it's like, it's a start screen. It's this trans- wild to make that type of comment on yes. the start screen when you're like, this is indicative of like the next 100 hours of gameplay. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like a massive, because from what we've seen, it's a massive single player RPG with tons yeah. of ways to play and experiment. Yeah, and 10 years or more in the making, you know. Like, and the start screen is, is, and it might be. Maybe the game's terrible. It's going to be buggy knowing Bethesda. Well, there's going to be tons of bugs, but... Yeah, it was a bit of a hot take, but I think people run with these stories and they see like a couple people on Twitter talking about it. And then everyone's like, oh, clearly this is a controversy controversy. And that transitions really nicely on over into Baldur's Gate, where there was a lot of people um, that were upset because there was some developers or some people talking about how Baldur's Gate 3 being the huge success that it is, is going to raise gamers expectations. And some devs were saying, pump the brakes. Don't raise your expectations because we're going to be producing uh, nothing compared to this ever again, unless you get lucky kind of a deal. And while I'm sure there are some devs out there, I think it was blown out of proportion a little bit, or at least I hope it's been blown out of proportion because I would like to assume that most devs are happy with Larian's success and they can learn from their success and transfer that to their own their own projects. Yeah, and it's also like... Baldur's Gate 3 is is like it's I haven't played it personally. I've watched some videos on it. I I respect the heck out of the game, but I know it's not going to be my game. You know, it's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. You've been playing it for like a week, right? Uh, It took me about two weeks. I I beat it and it it took me 80 hours, which is actually quite short because there was apparently a lot of content that I missed, but it took me 80 hours to beat. Wow, dude. Yeah. So like good content there. And it's like, at, from my understanding, it just gives you this insane level of freedom of how to play the game and what happens to your characters. And it's, it's sort of like, do you remember, there's like been some steam games that have come out over the years that are like super 
um, simplistic visually where it'll be like a top down, very simple graphics, but they use like AI narrative tools to give you this crazy freedom and how your characters progress. I think, is it ring world or something like that? It's a game uh, like Rim that. world. Rim world. Is yes. that it? Yeah. Yeah. I played that as well. Yeah. So it sort of seems like, like the power of that, but just in a much higher fidelity package using the D and D rule set. Is that correct? Well, uh, Rimworld is a bit different, but it does give you, yeah, it gives you that creative freedom to play how you want and tell your own story. I think what's just so incredible about Baldur's Gate 3 is the, they, they pretty much have thought about like everything. Mm -hmm. uh, so like you go into a scene and you think to yourself, well, can I do this? And then if you try to do that, they've developed it in a way where yes, you can do that. So a really good example is that early on in the game, you can... Um, you get, this is a slight spoiler, it's very small, but you get pickpocketed by some children and then they run away and then you can, they, they go into like a little hole and then you can, you can't go into the hole because they're children and you can't fit, but you can shrink your character down. There's a spell that shrinks your character down. So you go inside, you can confront them. And then I didn't do this, but I was told that you can then turn into a spider and confront them as a spider and they all freak out and say I, I can't believe this is happening again they all run away and they drop your loot and then you <laughs> it's like it's crazy how interactive it all is so yeah and i can imagine from just thinking about the different variations and plot lines that they had to account for oh yeah it must have taken so long so long so i get where other devs are like we're never going to be able to do this on this level at the same time it's a very unique experience, right? Like, it's not like people aren't going to want the classic RPG thing where you just run around and chop guys up with your sword and then talk mm -hmm. to people, you know? there's yeah. If Witcher 4 comes out, people aren't going to be like, oh, well, it's not Baldur's Gate. Baldur's Gate, I won't play it, you know? Like, if everyone's going to want to play the next Witcher game, which is more of a, a traditional RPG. At the end of the day, I th gamers just want good games, and yeah. it doesn't need to be Baldur's Gate you know, four, it, they just want well-polished, well-balanced games at release. And I think what people are frustrated by a, a comment like that is that it seems like devs are trying to give themselves a little bit of an out for not having that polish a little bit. But yeah. I do think the entire story is overblown. I, I would hope that most devs are just excited for their success and they can learn from it. Yeah. And I think I, I read into it just a little bit, but I saw a lot of comments from other devs that were just like, this is actually great for the RPG industry because we haven't really seen a lot of successes on this level that oh, are like not even close. reaching out into like all other forms of media. Cause before it would be like, mm, are you an RPG nerd? Then play this game. And now it's like, if you're playing like Grand Theft Auto, you've probably heard of Baldur's Gate three, you know, like it's probably come into your newsfeed. That's how like, ubiquitous the game is right now everybody's mm -hmm. playing it everyone's trying it and so it's like that's huge for rpgs so it means that if you are an rpg dev or you're working on a more narrative style game there's a good chance that there's going to be a bigger audience for it now you know? oh it's it's i mean i think it reached the same concurrent player base i think it almost got nine hundred thousand concurrent players on steam which is i think at or more than the hogwarts legacy harry potter <laughs> everyone yeah. knows harry potter and it got just as much or more concurrent players, which is incredible. So it's wild. Yeah. Especially considering that the Baldur's Gate franchise is like, um, it's so old. And so Baldur's Gate 2 came out 
so long ago. I don't want to say, but it feels really old. I like never maybe, played them. So maybe 15, 20 years old, like really old game. So it's not like they had all this like modern notoriety going into Baldur's Gate 3. Most people are probably hearing about Baldur's Gate for the first time when they downloaded this, you know, or at least a lot of them. I don't know what their their fan base is, but based on how many people are playing it, I'm like, there's no way those are all old school Baldur's Gate 2 fans, you know. Like, it, it could be kind of tough to try and figure out why why it blew up, but a lot of it, I believe, came from the goodwill of Larian Studios because they made Divinity and they they, they kind of were grassroots a little bit because they did Kickstarters mm -hmm. with Divinity 1, maybe 2, but Divinity Original Sin 2 is one of my favorite games of all time. I think that's true for a lot of people. And then that just kind of snowballed into Baldur's Gate and then a lot of word of mouth also contributed to it. People could play the early access, could communicate how fantastic just that was and but yeah it's hard to pinpoint why why it became this mega success seemingly out of nowhere yeah well i think it also and again this is i'm not someone who's played it or nor nor have i played a lot of dungeons and dragons in my time i think i've played like a few games with friends who are like mm -hmm. holding my hand through it the whole time yeah but it does seem like the ultimate conversion of the DD game and rule set into a computerized version right where they've like, made it really accessible too yeah where i think most rpgs kind of have some type of DD mechanics beneath the hood you know whenever you play like world of warcraft it's doing a dice roll of like your attack rating versus their defense rating type stuff and whatever but like this is like to the nth degree this is what like DD fans probably have dreamt about a video game doing for the longest time and then they finally did it yeah they did it yeah. very well it's cool man i might check it out one day when i feel like i have more gaming 100 freedom. hours at your disposal uh it's one of those things you know i um i constantly am trying to get operator drewski to come play star citizen because he's very much the sim guy yeah and he doesn't want to do it because he's like, I'll, I know I'll just immediately put like 100 or 200 hours into the game and I just don't have time for it. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel like that's modern gaming to an extent, right? You're like, there's a lot of really good games to pick from. And I just can't like I haven't played the latest Zelda game because I I know I'm going to love it. That's also massive. Yeah, I know I'm going to love it. I know I'm going to want to do all the puzzles and want to get all the like little Deku seeds or whatever they got in that game. And uh <laughs> And I just don't got the time for it. One day, though, man. Yeah. Um, have you seen anything about the little Delta Force game? I shouldn't say little because it looks like it's aiming to be bigger. Than so Delta game. Force was the first person shooter I played on PC ever. The and first first person shooter. The first first person shooter I ever played on on yes on PC because yeah. I played like yeah, GoldenEye on N64 and all that. Mm -hmm. But it was my very first, and I loved it's probably why I fell in love with first person shooters. And so I saw the announcement and I was like, oh boy. And then the trailer was interesting <laughs> to say the interesting. least. Interesting. Yes. Have have you seen speaking of operator Drewski, have you did you see his tweet? No, I did not. Okay. I'll have to, Do I need to look it up. Um, you don't have to, but I can also put it on screen. He did a little trailer analysis breakdown and he okay. found some some things in there that are sort of like, okay, I, I'll give them a pass for early access. Like they're reloading, I think the Deagle and like a 5.56 five, shell comes out of it, which is like, okay. There's okay, some well that's, that's, yeah. Yeah, 
that kind of thing I don't care about as much. However, they do show, and I forgot which weapon this is, but there's a running animation where a player is holding the gun, and it's like a typical, like, I'm running, and the gun's bobbing up and down as I run. Yeah. And he put it side by side with the call of, with one of the latest Call of Duty games, and it is the exact same animation, as in, like, copy and pasted the is that it's like they broke the animation code out of cod and copied it into their game and it's it's kind of crazy when you see it so somebody mentioned in the comments that they might have some sort of studio relationship i don't know if that's true or not um but it it's being developed by tensets the producer right so mm-hmm. Cod has There's stolen plenty so of stuff many in the past. Ways yeah. To run? No, you know, no, but... no. If you watch it, it's well because it's like think about like the natural jiggles or something that an animator. Oh, so might even put even in. like when he starts. Yeah, to, yeah, yeah. It's it's all yeah. one for one. Okay. No, it's like copy and paste. So that as soon as I saw that, I was thinking like how much of a like a weird Chinese knockoff version of like a Delta Force Call of Duty Battlefield thing is this game going to be? Well, because it also appeared to be trying to aim for more realism, and then all yeah. of a sudden, like they're describing how real it, you know, it's hardcore yeah. real, and then a person you know what comes I should out with mention? a recon bow. It's like what? Uh, we're posting this podcast is going live Wednesday. We're recording on Monday. I think they're dropping the trailer tomorrow. <laughs> oh. So we might be like talking about we're talking about old hat here, man. Possibly. I mean, There's gonna be a giant epic Gamescom trailer that like blow us away and we're gonna be compl- yeah. we're gonna we're gonna look stupid. I mean so it's stupid. too late. We always look stupid. It's too but... late. It's too late. Maybe we can talk about that one next. I wasn't week. overly impressed with the trailer though. It... Yeah, there was a shot where the RPG hits the chopper. Mm-hmm. And the destruction looks not good. It just like, it everything looked like it was cut right at a point where things were going to break in the game. <laughs> yeah, that that's a good sense. way that to describe sense. it. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Like it, like they had like a, a minute long sequence of action and they're like, can we get five seconds of this that looks cool without right. the game breaking? And then they yep. like got those chunks and then put them into the trailer. And then you, you saw know. a little like little, little snippets at the end of like a clip where you're like, oh, okay. It yeah. looks like something was about to go down, but no. Yeah. They're uh, apparent some of the mobile footage leaked online because it's going to be a mobile game too which is oh which is unusual that to changes launch, things a little bit to launch it on all platforms including mobile at the same time i don't know how many games have done that before actually that's pretty wild but um based on that gameplay it looks kind of like battlefield meets call of duty is it a single player or multiplayer i don't know uh, well <laughs> uh no multiplayer I, it is multiplayer? Supposed to be multiplayer yeah 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 okay. multiplayer it might have a single player component. I don't know, man. Uh, we'll find out. It's probably already all over the news. Number one trailer at Gamescom at this point. Anything you're looking forward to at Gamescom? Anything on your radar? I didn't even know Gamescom was going on right now. I've just been in my own little world these last couple of days. So, no, I haven't. I unfortunately haven't been keeping up yeah. on that. I do want to quickly mention, though, for Delta Force, my character name back then, I called myself uh, Dark Knight. Ooh. That was that was my first character. Uh, I didn't name myself Matimia. I was the Dark Knight. 
You know what my handle was back in my Myth 2 Soul Blighter days was um, Juggernaut. <laughs> Juggernaut. Yeah, I can see that. I can see it. Yeah. Those were our, yeah, gosh. It's so funny to think about like your early day handles where you're like, I'm Juggernaut. And I'll, I'll be known as the Juggernaut. Yeah. Like everybody's going to know I'm me. I'm so cool. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. And then you're like, yeah, you could have just gone with Dark Knight. Imagine if that was your handle going into your YouTube career. <laughs> hey guys, hey, this is the Dark Knight. The Dark Knight here. here. <laughs> and it wasn't, it was like, you know, like a knight in shining armor. It wasn't dark. Like it was it was bad. Yeah. Uh one of the guys that I started playing Battlefield with, I still I still chat with him from time to time. Uh we called him Fee Knight. You probably played with him a few times. Um, Sounds familiar, but I Yeah. Well, because it was F.E. and then Knight. And he it was supposed to be F.E. is, I think, iron on the periodic table. Oh, iron knight. (laughs) But nobody got it. I don't get it. And he didn't correct anyone. So we just called them Fee Knight. And then like a year or two into knowing him, he was like, it's the iron knight. I was like, not anymore. Not anymore, boy. (laughs) Ah, there's yeah, some good. bad handles out there, man. Yeah. I mean, let's be real. Mine's not great. Uh, <laughs> actually, that <clears throat> is really funny what you ended up going with. You know, you're like, not the Dark Knight. I've got it. I've got a much better one here. Matimio with the zero at the end. For I don't, I have no idea what the Somebody was. took Matimio. They probably Maybe. did because it's a character name, right? From... Uh, it's based off a character. It's not the exact spelling. So, no. I, I, oh, I legitimately... so nobody took you legitimately no idea no i have no idea i'd like right. to sit here and tell you and explain why i put a zero at the end but i legitimately cannot remember <laughs> just to make your seo life much harder yeah you know? yeah that's search engine optimization for mm-hmm. people not in the know mm-hmm. um i mean if you that's... if you if you type in a, a normal you know it works out but yeah, you've been around long enough where the it knows how to find you, but uh-huh. at the same time, at the it's beginning. pretty funny. Yeah. Oh man, and it's it's based on a character from Redwall, correct? Yes. Yeah. Mad- Madameo. Madameo. He was Madame the Mayo. son of Martin the Rat, or not mm. the Rat. The sorry, the Mouse. Apologies. Because because <laughs> Redwall. Don't you know what? You're not gonna make fun of my Redwall. My I'm fandom. Not, I read a, I read one of the Redwall books when I was younger, and I liked it. I thought yeah. it was good. I think Netflix is working on a live action or somebody was or some not live action, but in like CG. I was going to say, if it's live action, that's going to be pretty impressive. Like, like Lion King style animation. Oh, yeah. okay. That's, I think that would be pretty wild if they could maybe pull it it's off. canceled at this point. Who knows? I think it's it ne- started after, you know, when like Game of Thrones changed everything for all the <laughs> streaming platforms and they're like, we all need fantasy shows. Uh-huh. Go, go, go. Uh-huh. I think it's part of that aftermath. Where they're like, okay, what fantasy fantasy shows can we buy the rights to and like start them right now? Mm-hmm. And now that's been kind of dying off, you know. For the most part, there's still a lot of big fantasy stuff, but yeah, they've I, made attempts. I, I, yeah, I like The Witcher, but I'm so bummed that Henry Cavill's leaving. I'm just like, yeah. I don't even know if I'm gonna watch the next season, and I feel like a lot of people are in the I same boat. I don't think you're alone. I haven't even finished season three. I watched an episode, and then I just, I just couldn't, I couldn't do it. It's kind of weird how that news of him departing the show, like, just killed the hype. Took the wind out of its sails. I mean, I feel like the show kind of took the wind out of its sails, too. Mm. But 
I think that's more dependent on if you were a big Witcher fan before the show. Yeah, I know you've probably read the books, right? I never read the books, but I was into the games. And okay. they, I can't they believe deviated. you haven't read the books considering how many fantasy novels you've read. I know. It's I'm I'm ashamed. There's a lot, and I'm I'll eventually. Get it's to like them. being a sci-fi nerd and All right. never you don't having have to watched shame Star me. Wars. Okay. Uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> but they have deviated pretty substantially from the books, and clearly Henry was not happy with it, so he's now making Warhammer show. Is that actually happening? Yes. Is it is it like um. Is it like a full live action type thing? I think so, but I. <laughs> I love Henry. I, I think he's an incredible actor or, you know, great actor. And I think he's very charismatic. But Warhammer is a genre in a in a series where, like, what is their production value going to be like? The yeah. world's in that Everything's universe. CG, 100%. <laughs> yeah. The, like, the world in that is is bonkers, you know? Yeah. They've got entire cities. That's the, that's the entire planet is just a city. And yeah. they've got skulls everywhere and they use skulls to communicate. And it's like, Whoa. yeah, good luck. Well, and, and everyone's going to have to either like have prosthetics or like mm -hmm. Iron Man level armor costumes on yep. all the time. Yeah. They're, and they're it's... like nine feet tall superhumans. Mm -hmm. I think now is the but... only time that they could do that. But I also part of me feels like it might have been better to approach it as like a film franchise or something. I don't I don't know if you can do that from a from a show but then again, you know, you look at like Game of Thrones and the production value on that was insane. At right. the same time, Game of Thrones was still people just standing around in like tunics and stuff, you know, for yeah. half of the scenes. You didn't They had they had a great yeah. production, but you're right, there wasn't like tons of action and anything like that. It was more it was political. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess Warhammer will I don't know. I, I haven't actually read any Warhammer material. Neither have I. I've wanted to get into it, but it's pretty massive, so yeah. I just haven't dived dived in yet. It does look cool, though. It <clears throat> does look cool. So, um, how's your Twitter account going, Matt? My Twitter account? I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Uh, how's your Xing going? Your oh, X yeah, of course. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was so confused there for a second. It's going well. I enjoy perusing Twitter uh, sometimes. Mm -hmm. I never. I don't use Twitter really anymore. I, I've kind of fallen off of it a bit. Okay. So have you been following any of the like, the takeover and every all the fun <sighs> t tweeting stuff? I have on? seen bits here and there. The recent one is Elon wants to remove blocking, which. According to their, so <laughs> there's a thing set up on Twitter now, X. I'm calling it Twitter. You can't change, you I, can't move into a city and no. then change the name of the city. It's still the city's name. You can't just yeah. do that. Well, what, <clears throat> how many years of building up that brand name do they have? Also, they didn't come up with an alternate name for tweeting. So what are no, we doing? Are we Xing now? No, like, I, th what you I think you're posting. You're posting on yeah, X. You're, po you're posting on X. And, and That's not an improvement. Yeah. They no, it's not. It. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you spent a decade creating a brand recognition that everyone knows around the world. Yeah. Tweet has become well-known and established. And then he just wanted to get rid of it. But there's yeah. this, this thing that they added, which I actually think is a, a good feature where I believe people can go in and correct and have like a little description. That's cool. That's yeah. very cool. And yeah. they corrected Elon saying that, and I don't know how true this is because I didn't look into myself, but when he posted, mm -hmm. we're getting rid of blocking, 
they corrected him and said, you can't get rid of blocking because then it wouldn't be allowed on certain apps because it's required on social media to be able to be to block people so that you don't have to see their posts. And Interesting. Yeah. He responded to one of them saying you can just mute them. And at that point, I was like, I don't even know what the difference is anymore. Um, I think muting they don't the person doesn't know they've been muting while blocking they okay. if they try to respond or read your tweets they they can't yeah that's my understanding but okay that's just one of the many crazy things that has been happening the thing that kind of like i won't say triggered me but interested me because i'm of the content creator world uh -huh. is they finally and this is like if you're from the youtube or twitch world you know that like Obviously, platform monetization is extremely important to foster like a good creative environment of people who can like dedicate more time to making good worthwhile content. And, you know, other platforms like Facebook have always struggled with this or put weird requirements behind monetization or it's never been as good. So kind of like YouTube's done a pretty good job overall with it. Mm -hmm. And then Twitter, they recently announced that they're monetizing the platform and the monetization rates for it have been ridiculous. Like um, there's a post here by uh, Tim Pool, and he posted how much he made off of 243 million impressions. Okay. So, so yeah, 243 million impressions. It's a lot. Over a 28-day period. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's Matt. I, I'm not huge on Twitter. I have like over 100,000 followers, but I don't even think I get a million impressions. I think I get around a million impressions in like a month, maybe. I don't mm -hmm. try very hard on it. But yeah, so he's he's doing incredibly well and he made $4,377 off of what is like astronomical visibility. Yeah, um, that's not great. Yeah. That's, that's um, very bad. I just thought it was funny because they sort of touted it initially when they announced it as like a way for content creators to like support themselves by making stuff. I'm like, so even if you are like the one of the world's biggest accounts, you're like you're making like a basic living. I mean, four thousand is not insignificant. It's not nothing. No, but no, but I think of, this, the amount of views yeah. like that's an incredible amount yeah. of. Views. I don't know anyone getting that kind of impressions on Twitter. Like personally, I don't know anyone that's even close to that. So like, I don't know. I found it funny and interesting. It's like one of these crazy things now where the world of content creation is so uh, sought after, I feel, by many people. Everyone wants to build a profile around it. But then you're like, here's the reality of like what that turns into in a dollar sign. Well, you know? what rubbed me the wrong way is that don't you have to subscribe and pay them money for them to then to even be eligible for revenue? Yeah, yeah you have to sign up for Twitter Blue, which right. I think is 15 a month or something like that. So your average person who they're not going to get their money back, essentially. Sure. Unless unless they get, you know, unless they take off. Well, they get off. they get advanced features, Matt, like they can upload 1080p video. Apologies. I was not aware of <laughs> they this. can 1080p in 2023. <laughs> That's incredible. They can edit their tweet for like 30 minutes after it goes live. <laughs> Oh, I mean, that's man. a nice feature. If yeah. you, maybe if you missed a spelling I mean, error or something. 
I'll play devil's advocate for half a second and say that um, I think it's fairly public knowledge that Twitter is in the red in terms of its actual income right it's now. It's been that for a while. Yeah. The entire ad industry is going in the in the tubes right now because of the economy. So people mm. aren't paying a lot of ads. And Twitter's like at the forefront of that because they just nuked their public image, you know. Right. Uh, so they're suffering worse than other people are. So yeah, they're doing what they can. So I don't think they can offer a big percentage of that ad revenue where, uh, who knows what percentage that is of the actual ad income. It could be like 5% or less. You know? I, I, I don't think they've disclosed it. Not to my knowledge. They haven't where platforms like YouTube, I think is still around 45% or something like that. That goes to you at least. So at least yeah. you kind of know what percentage you're making. And in exchange, you know, you're like YouTube is uploading 4K video and transcoding it and distributing it and streaming it to anywhere in the world. You're like, that's that's a pretty good feature. Like, it feels like that's probably pretty expensive yeah. to like handle that. And then Twitter's like, here's some text in a picture at low res. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, here's no money. Um, I feel like most people are pretty happy with the way that you like, I mean, yeah, of course the, there's the algorithm and everything on YouTube, but they like the whole distribution. I think most people are pretty happy with the, the way they've allocated the, the revenue split. Unless, unless I'm wrong, unless people no. are upset about it. I think they are, but I think <clears throat> in general, like the way that it's kind of advertised, especially like maybe five years ago, more so was like, um, you got these big time content creators making it look like, Oh, I make videos on the internet. Now I drive a Lamborghini type thing, you know, and oh, it's like, well, but I, yeah. I, I do think that is like kind of the, the image that a lot of people still seek or think about when they get into content creation. And well, hasn't ad revenue gotten better on YouTube over the years and not worse unless you I know, think, maybe ups and downs here and there. But I remember when I first yeah. got started, it was awful and it, it was, it wasn't livable. It was, cause I was, it was all a lot of over either. the map. Yeah, it, it did a lot of fluctuation. I heard in the early days when like Machinima was kind of controlling everything mm -hmm. that content creators were getting like flat rate deals that were like crazy high yes. because they just didn't know how to value the ad rates back then. And also the market saturation was really low. So they probably were getting their monies like they all the ads would just go to like one guy. So they would get crazy high fill rates where now the fill rate might be less, right? So it's like the ads are still high CPM, but you're only running one ad every 20 views or something, right? Mm -hmm. So you get slower fill rates and stuff. So, but I think YouTube in general has done a good job. It's just market saturation. And then, um, and most people have to monetize via an outside source now, right? It's like buy my t-shirts. Well, that's or... why you see so many, and today's video is sponsored by yeah. whatever. Yeah. I do it all the time and you know, I don't have, I'm fine with telling people that I make way more money on my ad spots than I do on YouTube revenue. Cause it just getting a hundred thousand. Cause they, they realize it's still a job and then you got to yeah. pay your bills. Got to pay, you know, take care of your family. Yeah. It can take a little while to edge into that though. If your audience isn't used to it and they're like, what's all these ad reads and you're like, mm -hmm. well, I mean, I gotta, it's either ad reads or I'm not making content, <laughs> you know? Yep. Yeah. Speaking of channels that do lots of ad reads, um, have you been following any of the Linus Tech Tips stuff? Yeah, yeah, I have. <laughs> uh, the down, the down. I don't think it's going to be the downfall of Linus Tech Tips, but no, 
not he's too not big to good. too big to like explode you know well i also don't think the con like the controversy is not great it's it's a bad look but it's it's not like he there's there's been some people that have come like there's been some controversies that have come out and you're like okay they're they're probably done this doesn't feel like that it just this is they definitely need to change their work culture for sure and things need to improve and they need to evaluate but it's i'm hoping at least from the little that i've seen that it's not going to be the end of their business because i think that they do make quality content yeah yeah it's um it's like one of those weird things where uh they do the podcast and i feel like a lot of the <laughs> the podcast almost because it's such an impromptu format and it's not scripted out and whatever the hot takes on there they they put themselves out there so much that there's gonna be bad hot takes you know it's just yeah. one of those situations where if you're talking enough unfiltered on the internet you will occasionally say bad stuff and i think you know What's they really on podcast are we gonna definitely now we're only gonna say good stuff here matt and uh nothing inappropriate <laughs> nothing no weird. no hot takes ever mm -hmm. nothing that will ever be referenced uh at any point later where somebody's like see that time you said this thing um and that's the thing about but always being online is that no one's perfect and that's why well, I'm not trying to say what is happening should be excused. I want to make that sure. very clear. I think that the allegations that have come out are serious and they need to be taken seriously. And hopefully Linus and the company will try to improve and become, you know, better and more responsible. But we always, we build up people throw on their pedestal. And then when they don't live up to these like crazy expectations, we tear them down and we say that they're garbage. And then it's like, well, they're human. Everyone is going to yeah. make mistakes. And I, I, it's really exhausting to constantly see this happen over and over and over again. Um, for, yeah. For Because you're right. You're always online. You're going to be saying things and that they're going to reference it in the past. Yeah. It's hard because um, there's that massive disconnect between the the icon, right? The person that you start like, like um, who, who becomes famous, who becomes this sort of figure and they kind of lose their humanity through that in the public view where it's like you hold them to this different standard almost. And you're like, oh, yeah, wait, they are a person at the end of the day and they do make mistakes and they do slip up and they aren't always accurate 100 percent of the time because nobody is. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I like to give Linus uh, like I, I'm not hard on him about a lot of stuff. I think he does a good job and makes entertaining content. But isn't it wild that his company is 120 people like. Did you realize how big no, Linus Media Group No, apparently haven't been paying that close attention. No, I had no idea it was yeah, that Yeah, yeah. It's pretty wild. It's pretty wild. And it, it does, it's it's crazy to think about because imagine how hard it is to make a hardware review video with all those data charts and those stat points where they're like, well, here's how it ran on this motherboard and here's how it ran on that motherboard. And you're like, that takes people hours to run those kind of things. And right. I mean, and if you make small mess ups in it, the data data's all wrong, you know, and like they're pumping out multiple yeah, it's, videos it's a tough. day. Um, yeah, it's got to be tough. But I, the point that the other channels made was like um, pretty strong and valid. Right. It's like ultimate like they Linus Tech Tips runs itself as mostly, I would say, an entertainment channel. Or an entertainment channel first and a review channel second, almost, in terms of the way that their content is designed. Okay. And and when you get the data wrong in a review video for hardware, 
that could potentially destroy a product, you know, it's like a huge deal, especially if you're the most well-known review channel. And Linus right? is at this yeah. point. Yeah. So yeah. it seems good that they're sort of taking that approach and sort of, and re-looking at things and, um, they should the be held accountable. What, yeah. the, the, the stuff that came out, like, absolutely, they, they did wrong and they should be held accountable. Yeah. But the it's internet, likes, though, the internet right? likes the internet and just blow up over everything. So it's how much of his channel do you think is a product of YouTube culture? And that like he started off, he wasn't making videos, multiple videos every day, you know, no. like the rate of production was much slower and more focused and like each video had a bigger impact and a bigger me and meaning behind it because you're like, Oh, it's a Linus video that came out and like a lot of thought went into it clearly. And then as it ramped up, everything just got bigger and crazier. And now there's like a review for every type of hardware and there's tons of stuff coming out every day. And Linus isn't even a character on all of the content anymore because he's got a big team and hundreds of people. Yeah. Over a hundred people. Everything. Yeah. And over a hundred people putting together all that content, going through all these different things. Um, it sort of feels like YouTube, the culture around becoming big on YouTube or any sort of social media platform is this kind of breakneck pace that you have to adhere to, to get big. Yes. And then like, once you are big and successful, it seems like maintaining course is almost like too scary at that point. Like, well, if we just get comfortable and do what we've done before, are we going to die? Is our brand going to like become Suffer irrelevant because of it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do we need to pump out all this crazy amount of content at this breakneck pace in order to like grow into some giant thing? Or can we be comfortable at like a smaller level or yeah, it's, it's like one of those things that's hard to like gauge and like with any company, especially when I heard that 120 number, I'm like, Oh man, the amount of, inefficiencies and inaccuracies and everything like as soon as companies scale up that's when it all starts to happen because it, there's just too much stuff going on and things eventually you can just get too down. big yeah. yeah yeah but i do agree that i think well I, it may not be youtube culture unless you're just referring to they see what is successful on youtube the algorithm yeah they get rewarded for that and then they keep pushing that that's kind of what i content. mean yeah right? Yeah. I do think that I do think that that has been pushing them in that direction for absolutely. I think most channels eventually, if they want to do this long term, have to play the game. There's a game of YouTube. And if you want to make it financially viable, you kind of have to play the game a bit. Some people have been able to deviate from it and they find outside sources of revenue, like you said, with sponsors, mm -hmm. you know, sponsored uh, deals and they can make like one video a month, but it's like an incredible video. And then they integrate that into their, the sponsored thing into the video and it blows up and they do really well and they can do that long-term. But I agree. I do think that YouTube has changed any company, including Linus Tech Tips. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure they'll recover um, from it, and but I think they'll be better for it too. And I think it's good also like, um, I thought Gamers Nexus did a really professional job of like pointing things out in terms of like, in terms of what you could call like trash talking or drama on the internet. I thought mm -hmm. that was like one of the more professional things I've seen in terms of like, they called, they called them out and they were clear yeah. that they weren't just trying to tear them down, but they wanted to make sure that they were being held accountable because they were the evidence and what they showed was. Yeah. And it affected gamers net 
uh, Nexus, who is kind of getting called out from time to time or caught in the crossfires or affecting their their job too, you know, where they're like, if they spend a lot of time getting stats accurate yep. and then the company that does it quickly and gets more views and more stuff. Differs you know, from their stats. Mm-hmm. It's got to be infuriating for doing it right and doing worse off because of it, you know? Yeah. Um, yep. I agree. Yeah. It's interesting stuff, man. Well, I think we kind of uh, are nearing the end here of the podcast. This would be episode one of Level With Me. I would like to keep doing it for quite a while. I think we've decided that we're going to we're gonna give this a real shot. Yep. Uh, speaking of all the, the fun monetization stuff, um, we have created a <laughs> Patreon account for our podcast. Uh, and there's a link for that in the video description because I wrote it. Oh, there we go. Patreon.com slash level with me podcast. If you guys want to help support our content, you can go sign up there and become a Patreon member. Um, and we've been brainstorming what we think would be valuable um, transactionally or make make better content for you guys for supporting us. Um, we want to have a Q&A session after each episode where Patreon members can both watch the episode live while we're recording it on Mondays and then ask us questions after the episode. And then if you can't watch it live, we'll post the Q and a session specifically for Patreon members, um, in a discord channel where you guys can access it there. Um, and we're thinking of different ways to monetize beyond that too. So if you guys have any cool ideas for that or features you'd like to see added, um, we're sort of, we're open. Uh, this is the proto era. Uh, this is an open relationship. Yeah, yeah. We've played around with some ideas, too, where uh, Matimio is going to do some NPC stuff for you guys live where you could buy bang, bang. food, you know. Bang, bang, bang. Mm, yum. Uh, take content. <laughs> Can you imagine? Oh, that'd be terrible. I am imagining it, Matt, and it sounds amazing, to it be honest. It sounds awful. I, I uh, think that, well, I don't know if that's trend. No, no, keep going, keep going. You're, you're doing great. No, I think I think we should keep that open. You know, <laughs> if it monetizes well, Matt, I think you should just be a team player and go with it. Okay. Okay. Um, but yeah, we wanna we obviously we wanna. I like recording this podcast. We've been talking about doing it for a while. I've thought about making a podcast for a long time. Um, so I'm really excited about doing this one with you, and um, uh, I hope everybody watching has enjoyed it and. We're going to figure out kind of where it's going to go be a learning experience. There's going to be some growing pains, but I think, yeah, it should be a good time. Yeah. Oh, and we want to have guests on too. Yes. Um, down the road. So we would like to have guests on, grill them about their journeys through whatever, whether it's content creation or game development, or maybe even outside of those worlds, who knows? And yeah, it'll be live Wednesdays on this YouTube channel. And also, hopefully, wherever else you like to consume your podcast, because we're going to try distributing it through other platforms, which I haven't tested yet. But I think... But that's its all its own little mess, so we'll figure it yeah. out. Yeah. So we hope you guys enjoyed. Matt, any parting words? Uh, no. Love you. Long time. And uh, thanks. Thanks for watching. All right, guys. Later.